A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Streams of Winter. Livestream 1. Jon Snow. Hello and welcome to The Streams of Winter. We are Radio Westeros and this is our very first live stream. As you might have heard, uh, darkness has fallen on the world in recent times and we wanted to do something extra to contribute to this great fandom and hopefully help in a very small way to lift in the quarantine blues that a lot of us are experiencing. Uh, the idea of these one-hour streams is to be a companion piece to our Winds of Winter Primer series, but here we can be more spe more spontaneous and, dare I say it, more fun. There will be one character for each episode, and today we'll be discussing none other than Jon Snow in the Winds of Winter. One difference with our usual style is that we tend to avoid discussing the show, but here we won't be straight-jacketing the conversation in any way, so anything goes and show comparisons are fair game, spoilers everything. So now it's time to say hello to the other half of Radio Westeros, here's Lady Gwyn. Hello, hello, very happy to be here with you all today, excited to talk about some John. And last but definitely not least, let me introduce today's very special guest, Here's Aziz from History of Westeros. Say hi, Aziz. Hey, everybody. It's great to be here. Uh, it's so much fun to discuss the Winds of Winter and what's coming. It's one of the great things about this community is all the fun we get to have with what we think is coming and all the different takes and creative ideas that people have. So, yeah, thanks for having me on. This is going to be fun. I'm glad you guys have started this series, and I'm ready. Good, good. We've done a lot of live streams with you, and uh, you know we really True. couldn't think of a more appropriate person to be sitting in the guest seat for our maiden voyage here. So, thanks for being here. Awesome, and, yeah, right on. And here we go. Take it away, Oak Boy. So we're going to navigate through a series of major talking points regarding Jon Snow's future in Winds, and do feel free to shoot us your own questions in the chat room. And, you know, we'll see if we've got time to cover some of them at the end. And to begin, I think we're going to turn back to towards the end of A Dance with Dragons, the pink letter, the so-called pink letter. Um, before we discuss the resurrection and John's death and all that inevitable conversation, I would like to know from you, Aziz, what you think of the pink letter a who authored it and b as a as a plot point you know what purpose it's serving well i think it's interesting it might there's a good chance that it's one of the biggest 
most discussed mysteries that isn't actually intended to be a mystery. <laughs> it might turn out that George did not, it's entirely possible that George didn't intend for it to be a mystery, that we as a very attentive uh, fandom on the lookout for hidden messages and subtleties and tricks, because George is tricky, let's, you know, that's, that's certainly true, that maybe we've read more into this letter than we thought. However, there's definitely things that are off about the letter. No matter which theory you believe, no matter which author you think there is, there's a fair amount of criticism that can be offered for that selection. There's, there's flaws with just about every choice. That said, so I can rather that, so I can understand a lot of the different takes. That said, I lean towards it not being as much a mystery as it seems to be. I think it's the, the interesting part is why there are lies in there and not who is the liar. I do think it's Ramsey. And uh, partly because I think the flaws with the Ramsey theory are lesser than the flaws with, say, Stannis or Melisandre or Mance. And also, I somewhat don't understand some of the motivations the other characters would have for doing it. Plus, some of their other actions maybe contradict this possibility. But I don't think any of the evidence is so the counter evidence is so powerful that you can just say, no, it's definitely not blank or it's definitely not blank, you know, unless you're trying to suggest that it's like Rhaegar <laughs> or something <laughs> completely random like that. But uh, as far as the main core of theories, I think there's there's at least a reasonable amount of evidence for all of them. Yeah, um, I'd have to say, yeah, I, I agree pretty much there's you know we went through some of those um points um just in our recent episode but uh i think what it comes down to is that it fits best with ramsey because you know his personality is sort of plastered all over the letter and very much i agree that the real mystery is you know what in the letter is true and what is lies and and where did those lies come from or or um, maybe they're not even lies. Maybe they're um, things that he Ramsey believes is true, uh, but aren't actually true. And you know that I think is more of the mystery. And I think that the the pink letter, you know, it's it serves a purpose in narratively setting up a number of major events. Certainly, um, that one has already happened, and I think other things to come, which we might talk about later. So. Yeah, I mean it's the direct it's a direct through line from the letter to John mm -hmm. getting stabbed. I mean it's yeah. that is a really important piece of it. It's not it's you can't really separate it uh in that sense. I mean as far as what's going to happen, you can separate it, but as far as <clears throat> its purpose in the story, that's part of it for sure. It it got John looking more southward and that that was perhaps the last straw for the cons the Bowen Marsh and the other conspirators. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah I, I something that Lady Gwynne said about personality, about Ramsey's personality, but also, is this letter really fitting of the personality of the other ca main candidates, as I see it, which would be Stannis and Mance? You know, it, would they really write this? Is it written in there? You know, is this a psychological profile of either of those two characters? Because, you know, that Mance might want to be rescued or Stannis might want, you know, some kind of reinforcements of some description or whatever it, it, to me it doesn't really fit the profile of those and it, it does it does fit Ramsey it, it's kind of a bit kind of all over the place there's someone kind of overreacting and angry and that's why I think that you know that the letter is smudged the wax is smudged I think it's just a case that he was writing it in a kind of 
Ramsey mood. Uh, what do you guys think about the, you know, in the Theon chapter, uh, he he sees Stannis kind of coming into possession of these two ravens that only go to Winterfell. And I, I started to feel, the more I'm reading this stuff, I'm starting to feel pretty strongly that they're going to be significant. Uh, and, you know, it's the timeline's a little bit squirrely, but as best we can figure, you know, that all the Theon chapter is happening quite some time before the John chapter. So did Stannis use those ravens to kind of pull a fast one on Ramsay after his battle on the ice, which is, we think, pretty imminent with the phrase, um, and sort of give him some false information maybe about what happened there? It's entirely possible. I wonder that one thing that speaks against it is is Stannis sending fake Arya back to the wall with Justin Massey mm -hmm. to give to John. If he's trying to lure John South with a trick, I don't that doesn't really line up at all. It it doesn't yeah. fit. So it definitely again, this is why I said you can't just close the door on these ideas because the Raven part of this is really compelling. Stannis in the Theon chapter, yeah, he makes a big deal out of the Ravens. It's how he outs that Maester as an as a traitor mm -hmm. by saying, Where are these ravens gonna go? So it really does fit in that sense. Um, and this is maybe does argue for George having some intent with the letter as a trick. But on the other hand, um, <laughs> that's there's no sure things about that at all. Right. Yeah, so the pink letter, a very interesting mystery that's gripped the fandom for years now. And like as he said, the direct line can be drawn with John getting kind of uh, ambitions to go south to um, to Winterfell to meet with Ramsay in, in some um, manner, but he gets stabbed and shanked by his own men before he can do that. So the fandom is wondering about the resurrection. You know, most people now believe that John is dead at the end of A Dance with Dragons, or he's dying at least. And the questions that um, arise are. You know, how is he going to be resurrected? That That's really the first question. Do you have any takes on this, Lady Gwyn? Uh, as far as specifically how he'll be resurrected? Yeah, I, how? Yeah, you know, uh, who would be involved? Well, I think, you know, I think it has to be Melisandre because she's... The resurrections that we've seen so far, um, and there have been uh, numerous, although most of them all happened to the same person <laughs> repeatedly. But if, you know, if you take uh, six for Beric and one for Lady Stoneheart, they all involved fire magic. And the only person in John's general vicinity who uh, appears to possibly have that power would be obviously Melisandre. So uh, not that I think at the moment she knows that she has the power to actually do that. I mean, I, I think if you look at Beric, uh, the first time that happened, uh, Beric was pretty flabbergasted <laughs> the first time he revived. I'm uh, not Beric. Uh, Thoros was flabbergasted yeah. by reviving Beric. Yeah, Beric too. Fair enough. <laughs> he <laughs> probably was too. He was like, like, "What the hell? I'm alive." I was dead. No, <laughs> but like, and no one expected that to work. So um, maybe something similar with Melisandre. Maybe she'll, you know, give it a try and find it works. Uh, I have heard people suggest that, you know, Blood Raven might have something to do with it. Um, but I don't know. You know, I, I think the setup is there more for 
for Melisandre. So you, yeah, you talk of the setup and Melisandre has one solitary chapter in A Dance with Dragons, a first and only chapter. It isn't isn't that a kind of setup for her ha continuing a POV in Winds? What do you think, Aziz? Yes, absolutely. Um, I think that the POV question is really tricky because without John's POV, we only have Mel's POV at the wall. And so, uh, I'm a little skeptical we're going to have a lot of Melisandre chapters, which means that we've got to have some John chapters because Sam's all the way in the South. And, and George has been fairly clear that there won't be a new POV other than possibly a prologue or epilogue character. So without a new POV, there isn't really another option for showing us the wall besides Melisandre. And unless we're going to get a bunch of Melisandre chapters that kind of by process of elimination means we kind of have to have John chapters and they kind of have to be, they could be, you know, ghost ish POV. They could be some sort of combination, some sort of in between state, which is really tricky. Cause when you get into the magic, who knows? I mean, that's where when George decides to write how the magic is going to work, then that's when we we just have to just wait and see what he's going to do. But I agree with Lady Gwyn about the resurrection mechanism. It's pretty likely to be Melisandre. And this is where we have to remember the, sh the difference between book and show where Melisandre was alerted to what Thoros had done in the show. She found out that he may had a resurrection through the by giving the kiss of life. And the kiss of life is just a last rites thing. It's what you you, you kiss them at, at, like a funeral. So I, I agree with Lady Gwyn that she might just go through the process like she would with anyone and have the same kind of, oops, what the thing that Thoros had happened because now it's going to work. On the other hand, I do like at least entertaining other possibilities. Lady Gwyn mentioned Blood Raven. Whatever animated cold hands, it, that magic exists. So, and we've seen... You could argue that, well, how could that penetrate the wall? How could magic on the other side of the wall affect John? Well, we've we've seen that happen too. We've seen Blood Raven manipulate dreams from the other side of the wall. We he probably sent the, the dire wolves to the Starks early on. And biggest of all, the two dead bodies that the Rangers dragged back in, Othor and Jafer Flowers back in the beginning of the series, those bodies rose on the other side of the wall. So there's even a third possibility that the magic of the others could raise John, which I think that's a pretty remote chance. But hey, if we're trying to look for all the possibilities, I think that's it's got to be on the list as a, as a remote possibility. Yeah, it's good to hear the other possibilities, but I think we can agree that Melisandre has got to be in the pole position as a candidate. Lady Gwyn, I was wondering what you think of um, patron Daniel Redbeard's question. You know, are we going to get a ghost POV? This is a question that many people are wondering around about in the fandom. What do you think? Yeah, I, I mean, I want to say that we we put the call out for questions in advance and probably the number one question people asked was whether we would see a ghost point of view or and or have John somehow be in ghost or, you know, questions relating to John's point of view. Uh, that said, I think that, um, you know, I think there'll be several chapters outside of John from other people, Mel, maybe Davos, um, before we get to see him. Uh, my feeling is I'm not sure that we get a whole uh, chapter that's all in Ghost, um, although that would be kind of interesting. Uh, but 
you know, it's definitely been set up. Again, we talk about things, you know, being set up in the past. That's always what we look for. Uh, John has had these kind of dreams where he sees through ghosts' eyes in dreams. We've had Bran in in uh, summer, kind of doing a summer POV for part of his chapter. Uh, Baromir, of course, as well. So I think there's precedent there for seeing through the wolf's eyes, uh, maybe at least for part of the chapter. Maybe, you know, the chapter where he gets revived starts with him in ghost and then getting kind of sucked back into his body. I don't, I don't know how else you would describe it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I like that idea. I think that there may have been foreshadowing near the end of, of a storm of swords when John is before John is made Lord commander and they've, they've imprisoned him in a storage facility that's too tall. That's too short for him to stand up in. And he's, st he's stuck in there for four days before they send him on that suicide mission to kill Mance that luckily Stannis shows up. So he doesn't have to go through with that. <laughs> but uh, that to me is, is people have thought about what's where's John's body going to reside? Like, are they going to put it in an ice cell? And you think back to Bran's visions in, in his third chapter ever where he's in his coma and he thinks of the bot, the warmth slowly leaving John's body, mm. and that all very much ties into this thematically of of him becoming colder. And when Veramir dies, Veramir's second life begins. He feels uh, like he's been thrown into an icy cold pool. It's a, it's all it's a pure description of cold and ice. Mm -hmm. And of course, Veramir also says he wished he had taken ghost himself that Mance wouldn't let him. And he says that it's a second life worthy of a King. Mm. So mm, a King, you say Jon Snow. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know what that means. I, I, I'm stumped with that one. <laughs> <I know. laughs> uh, so, so, but let's suppose that John didn't have a ghost chapter and that we just see things through Melisandre's eyes. How long do you think it's going to take to resurrect John? You know, at what point in the book is he, is he going to be up and, you know, being Jon Snow again? Lady Gwyn, what do you think? Um, I think I accidentally touched on this <laughs> in my, <laughs> my last answer, but I think that a few chapters in, and I mean, of course, it's hard to put it in terms of the book because the book is going to be dealing with so many other things. You know, this is the book, where for the first time since the Storm of Swords, we're drawing all of our point of view characters back together in one volume, presumably. So, um, you know, will it be 30% into the book or not? I don't know, but it, I do think s several chapters might happen at Castle Black before we get to see John's resurrection. Maybe, mm -hmm. you know, maybe a Mel, maybe a Davos, like I said. Um, and, and so, you know, a good distance in, because like, I think there's a lot of stuff that's going to have to be related. There's aftermath of the of the stabbing. You know, mm -hmm. uh, you got you got absolute chaos happening at Castle Black. I mean, besides John stabbing, you have a rampaging giant. Um, I, I mean, unless they just resolve that all off page and tell you about it later, um, you know, I I think there's got to be some sort of you know, explication of what's happening there. And then you've got, obviously, uh, it's, we all think that there's a very good chance that Davos is going to show up. He's been gone for months, if you look at the timeline. It's, it's time for him to turn back up. So, yeah. 
I guess what I would say to add on is, you know, John's got to have a, you know, he's such a crucial character. He's got to have a story in The Winds of Winter. He can't just be dead for ages, can he? He can't just be like, you know, yeah. he's either he's either in in ghost or or he's just, you know, dead and just gets brought, brought back from. Uh, in either case, he, he can't be in that state for too long. What do you think, Aziz? I, I completely agree. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me that they would wait. Like, why just hang on to his body and let it sit there for a while? Mm -hmm. What's the point? Why would they do that? It doesn't seem to, there wouldn't seem to be any reason to just hold on to his body. They know to burn bodies. Everybody, they all know that very clearly mm -hmm. now. So mm -hmm. if they don't burn John's body, there's got to be some reason. And mm -hmm. well, what could that reason be? I don't know what it is. The only reason I can think of is sort of what you touched on, Lady Gwen, is with there'll be so much turmoil there may be like a miniature civil war happening. If there's infighting that could delay disposing of the body. And then mm -hmm. Melisandre might have something to say as easy. And as we know, she's a very influential kind of character when she wants something. That's very true. But you could <clears throat> see her saying, Hey, let's store this body. I don't know why she would say that, but if she does, I could <laughs> see people doing it because you're right. She has that kind of authority. On the other hand, maybe she just does it right away. She's like, Oh, he's, been stabbed time to give the kiss of life and and mm -hmm. then we go from there <laughs> yeah. but <laughs> if that um, happened is melisandre's pov just just gonna go away i mean is it gonna be a case of her having a pov just for convenience or do you think that mm. george aspires to give her pov more backbone and substance I feel like he said he confirmed that she's got at least one chapter in The Winds of Winter. Uh, I would be surprised if there's more than two, though. Um, I think one, to, witnessing the immediate fallout after John's death, I think is a kind of a must. Um, but after that, you know, I don't know. The, I, I could see it being one or two more, but I would guess it's going to be pretty minimal. Because she knows so much and he doesn't want to have to put it. I don't think he wants to be in her head too much because there's just so much he knows. Sure. Like, like little finger or blood Raven. You don't, yeah. you don't want that POV. Yeah. It was already maybe a surprise when she case. was one in the first place. <laughs> the, the, yeah. the, the problem for Melisandre, I would really like, you know, an extended POV, but it's just such a crowded field to be, you know, pulling in chapters. I'm sure George is dealing with this at the moment. Like where, how do I tell everyone's story in this book? You know, how is this going to get bound at the book binders? You know, with so many POVs, yeah. I, I don't know how Melisandre can have a you know substantial amount. Yeah. Okay. So, so what, uh, when jo John wakes up, do you think that it will affect his kind of warging abilities or supernatural powers? Yes, that's a huge open question. I'm super curious about because an undead guy with warg powers is that does that change them? Do they go away entirely? I, I really doubt they go away entirely. That would that seems just so no fun at all. <laughs> it seems like George wouldn't do that just because it's it's just not cool. <laughs> but maybe this is a way for us to understand the other's brand of magic a little better. If they it's conceptually for me, it works to, to think of them as warging dead bodies. Like they have, they can skin change into dead bodies and animate them. And that's a similar concept to living beings using a similar magic to enter the, the bodies and souls of living animals or, or humans. So the conceptually, I kind of can see some overlap. So maybe this is how we get introduced to a little more of, of how that all works 
uh, by seeing some of it from John's point of view, or at least he has some sort of understanding of it. But it seems like a big part of what's coming that's really hard to predict, but has to be addressed. I mean, this is magic overlapping other types of magic now, and, and who knows what that kind of alchemical mixture mm -hmm. will create. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So you think that it could be something like, you know, open up the, the conversation on, on the, these kind of supernatural powers quite a bit. This could be a turning point in the books. And this brings us to the question about the change John is going to experience with his death. Because if John doesn't change in any way, you know, you've got to say it's it's kind of bad writing it's really just bookending a dance with dragons with a cliffhanger and then just bringing the guy back you know to me that's kind of what it was like on the show and i was kind yeah. of like well you know i don't know that it just it just didn't work for me it was just you know a plot point that's forgettable i don't think george is like that i think that you know he's probably in his head thinking you know what what can this do for john's story you know it's got a take take his arc in a different direction so why don't we talk about the kind of two ways it can change the supernatural way which you've just uh touched upon as ease and the personality changes you know in john like who is he now you know when you're dead and you come back who are you you know are you the person before what the hell's going on for john uh, why don't you lead us off lady Gwen? uh well you know i think uh We've talked a lot about whether he's going to be, you know, a bit um, colder, more more wolf-like. Um, prior prior to going live here, we were talking, uh, you know, um, about him this being the final stage of Kill the Boy. Um, really, if he comes back, he's going to have to leave behind all of. The, the things that he's already been trying to leave behind, you know, and, and really focus on um, the things that he needs to do, um, you know, to, to move things forward in the, in the direction that they need to go for uh, what's he trying, you know, he's, I, I want to say he's trying to save humanity, but I mean, in a way he kind of is, he's trying to save the humanity of Westeros. So um yeah, I think he's going to be a bit more focused and a bit, you know, more stern. Yeah, a more bit more. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's going to have more of an objective. Like, you know, he's going to be ready, ready for certain battles, isn't he? So, mm -hmm. Aziz, I'd like to hear from you. Um, patron Alyssa Faison wonders about the changes he will feel with regards to Beric and Lady Stoneheart. Have you got any, anything else you can tell us? about those kind of comparisons. Absolutely, and it, and it touches on what Lady Gwyn was saying and what you guys were saying in general about how John will quite possibly be more focused on his goal. He's already a fairly focused guy in the first place, but it's also true that his personality was changing dramatically right before he was killed. He's becoming, he just became Lord Commander. He was, Eamon told him, kill the boy. I suppose he didn't intend for it to be quite so literal. But it is definitely happening. He was, you know, almost killed uh, for real. <laughs> and I think that that focus of these other characters who were killed, Lady Stoneheart and Beric, they seem to have been very much 
uh, attached to the thing they were doing right when they died. Beric is still stuck on being a king's man, even with the king that he was a man to is dead. And Lady Stoneheart is still carrying out the revenge from the Red Wedding. She was in in the act of killing Aegon Jinglebell when she herself was killed. Now, maybe we're reading too much into the, their final moments and what they were doing, uh, or their last their the last task they had as a living being because for john it seems like he's going to be focused on fighting the undead or the long night regardless but i think that the same kind of personality changes we saw that that allowed him to do things like hang or rather behead janos slint i mean that that happened before he was ex before he was assassinated obviously and that's not something you know book one john would have done that's this is this is a john who has grown he's a teenager in the midst of a regular person's growth arc in a very irregular situation so now we have this thrown in where his personality might get more wolfish and more focused on what he's doing but it might also be part of what drives him away from the watch um we were going to talk a little bit about that more later. This is a little bit of setup for that. It, setting aside whether or not this gets him out of his Night's Watch oath, it might give him reason to uh, take up the mantle of defending the realm in a different way, as either as a king or as a Stark or something else, just not as part of the Watch, which is quite frankly um, almost done as an institution anyway there there's only a there's only a few of them left and and, and mm -hmm. what if the wall collapses or something like that it's taken down in some way or another i mean it's not really gonna be an institution anymore uh at least it will be only be a named thing in memory it won't there won't be like an army of the night's watch i mean that won't be a thing anymore so no, no, it's a, a lot of it's just kind of falling apart anyway. And they're not getting much help other than Stannis, and Stannis has his own troubles. So yeah. I think to, to try to circle back to the beginning of this question, I do think John's personality is going to change a lot, but it's really hard to see how much of that is just his normal changing as a, becoming an adult and a leader and faced with this apocalypse and how much of it is dying and being resurrected. It's really going to be hard to parse the two. Yeah, um, I, I think you could say he's kind of, you know, in the process of shedding a skin, but this is a you know a great opportunity to shed this final skin, like you say, uh, let the man be born, and uh, you know this is John's final form. Let's bring it on. Let's see what happens. <laughs> okay, and and in the conversation about other changes, let's take take a light a lighter turn in the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've been talking about uh, oh here. Asher, not Yara, tells us, I'll be interested to see if John can, ahem, perform. A lot was made of the romance between John and Danny and Game of Thrones, but all of the other characters we see come back seem to be beyond such earthly delights. So can John get a bonus? This is what, what we're really asking, <laughs> isn't it? We, we, did, we did poll this on Twitter last night just for a bit of a laugh. And it's come back. Yes, nature finds a way. Fifty-nine percent. No blood flow. No boner. Twenty-one percent. No, but he can pee. I don't even know what's going on. That's eight percent. And WTF? Twelve percent. So, <laughs> so I, I, I guess this is a stu you know stupid comical question, but it actually has 
kind of serious undertones. It, it you know, it, it, if John is changed physically and he, he can't reproduce or have an heir. So what what do you think, uh, Lady Gwyn? Is is this the end for, for jo <laughs> you know, John's lineage? <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, maybe Rhaegar really was the last dragon. I don't know. <laughs> so, um, well, let's, you know, part of this was inspired by the kind of, this is a subject that's come up before because George said that whites have no blood flow. I don't know why I said that. Um, but, <laughs> you know, sometimes you say things and uh, we see Beric get cut by a sword and bleed. So it's, you know, but so it's not necessarily to be taken with anything but a grain of salt, but it's a good question. Um, and trust our fandom to make such a silly uh, Twitter poll into actual real <laughs> real intellectual debate i mean last night we said we had people uh may bring up some really good points about this so i, I thought that uh, was a good point about the beric because i hadn't heard it for that was from yeah. on twitter by uh duran durandon i think yeah so thank you for this uh yeah. special insight <laughs> well, what do you think is these what, what do you think this is you know going to be a real issue or is this just a bit of a lark I think it's fairly serious. Um, you know, George talked about one of the the seminal questions George had for uh, Tolkien was about Aragorn's tax policy. Well, John and Aragorn have been compared a lot, so this is more about John's sex policy. <laughs> and well, I, I, so much has been set up with John and Danny's potential relationship via John and Agrit, kissed by fire. As you could obviously apply that term could, you could see how that could apply to a person with dragon blood. Mm -hmm. So much of their relationship, he, John is so apologetic when she dies. Uh, she's killed with a, a, an arrow to the chest, which is probably, you know, Danny is stabbed through the chest. That'll be similar. Um, and if they're going to have a relationship, well, maybe this is why George wrote the scene with the Lord's kiss. Um, if John can't, you know, perform with his member, he's got other options, perhaps. And hey, you know, like it's got <laughs> everything has to have a narrative purpose, right? right? Yeah, that, that's what you call groundwork. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That is definitely groundwork, uh, ground, ground munching. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so it, it's interesting because, yeah, like he it shouldn't work. I don't think there's any reason personally why it should function. We've seen cold hands talks about the blood running to through the extremities. Like his hands are black because all the blood has flown to his hands and then kind of coagulated there. Well, try not to think about this too much, but what does that, where else is it coagulating? Is he, oh, you know, if he meets gray worm, is he going to be like, Hey, I'm black worm. Aha. <laughs> 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 no. I have so much in common. No, Yoke Boy said no. That's going to be the name of his chapter. It won't be Ghost Chapter. It won't be John. It'll be Black Worm. <laughs> well, maybe when she's bringing him back, Melisandre can give him a special res erection. <laughs> oh, no. Res erection. Oh, God. Res erection. Damn. <laughs> Ooh, the second half of this, this is starting oh. off 
Yeah. A bang or a lack of bang. Oh, no, not a bang. Oh, <laughs> not, oh boy. Uh, okay, we, had, we knew we had to get here. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to everyone who voted in the poll, by the way. 608 people felt compelled to weigh in. That's, you know, that's <laughs> pretty good. Number. Thank you for that. Uh, also, thank you to the 72 people who joined me in saying, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> you, you made the poll. You're not allowed to answer what the fuck when it was your poll. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am. I'm, this is like, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> All right. We, okay. We, we let, let's talk. move on from this. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> So earlier we we were discussing, you know, John's future after resurrection, and the question that arises after watching this show, especially, is is John gonna leave the Night's Watch as we saw on HBO? You know, and if so, by what authority? Because remember in the show, he just kind of like was like I'm going to ride into the sunset. He just was like, fuck it kind of thing. (laughs) He just left. There was no no real explanation. (laughs) It's like, my watch has ended. That's it. Y'all, I'm gone. Like, like, well, hmm. I guess he's got a point there. Obviously in the books, George has more of a chance to, you know, explain more intricate dynamics, shall we say. So, Lady Gwen, what do you think? What authority would John leave the watch well, I think, you know, what what uh, fans have been saying for ages, dare I say nine years, uh, <laughs> is let's just quote the this pertinent line from the Night's Watch vows, which is, night gathers, now my watch begins, it shall not end until my death. So John dies, um, you know, arguably, then his, his watch has ended, and... Um, there's that. But I also wanted to point out something that happened right at the end of uh, John 13, right before he got stabbed. And, you know, a lot of us kind of forget in all the, you know, the, the emotional stuff that happened right after that and the sort of the chaos, you know, you get involved in that. John basically forswore his vows immediately before getting stabbed. He, mm. he you know, proclaimed his, his intention to leave the night's watch and take a bunch of wildlings south to go fight with Ramsey. And it basically said, I, I won't, I'm not going to ask my brothers to forswear themselves to join me. So you guys are going to stay here and do night's watch things, but I'm going to do this thing. So he basically admitted that he's forsworn his vows. So isn't this, you know. isn't this 
giving him special treatment if John can just leave the Night's Watch and the Night's Watch are just there watching him kind of walk off and they're like, they go back to their turnip stew and like, oh yeah, that was all right. It's going to be hard to, I think it'll be a debated point within the Night's Watch because it does say my vows shall not end till my death and he did die. So like he does have like a technical argument to fall back on, but Lady Gwen is totally right that if that a lawyer would never have said what John said because he just totally incriminated himself. He he sh- he should have said made it. He basically admitted, like you said, that he was breaking his vows. He should have left it as a gray area. Said like, I don't know if this is a, is this counts as forswearing my vows, so I won't order anyone to do it because it might be right. But he just was like, nah, this is wrong, but I'm doing it. <laughs> so it's 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 a interesting point because it it reminds us that John is very honest, even when it probably harms him, you know, or can harm him. It's, it's, it's a big part of his nature nurture argument is that he has this so much in common with Ned Stark, which is clearly a nurture thing. Uh, And I, I, but I, it, it could really make him anathema in the North to a lot of people who don't, see this nuance if they just hear this rumor about hey this lord commander this bastard lord commander left the wall you know just walked off the job or is he dead you know like will they know about that are people around the north going to hear that he was stabbed i mean Mm. that was entirely left out of the show like danny didn't even know that he had been stabbed he just had scar like these very suspicious Mm -hmm. scars they're like boy those scars look really bad man (laughs) but (laughs) clearly they weren't fatal because you're walking around but that's because no one's gonna think maybe they were fatal and he came back to life (laughs) oh ever think about that you know so Mm -hmm. it's just so hard to picture how other people are going to view john without knowing what are they gonna know who's gonna how's this story gonna spread like if it's Someone with an, a mm. grudge against John, they're going to spin the story in as the worst way possible. And if it's someone that likes John or is neutral, I mean, rumors probably going to go negative because that's just how it goes mm. generally. So I tend to lean towards the cynical side of how John's going to look towards other people. But if he ends up being some doing some other heroic deeds, yeah, or if it just won't it won't matter that much. Or if he he He's won't gone. care and he won't care. Like that's a big mm. part of him is like he said with Corin. He doesn't care what other people think of him. If he gets the job done, his own honor is is coin for the realm. I, I feel like he needs to kind of earn. He, he's going to be kind of frowned upon by a lot of people, and I, I really like what exactly what you said. He he's got to he's got to come up, be the hero at some point, so people forget about all this stigmatism that he's going to face, and that he can be you know evaluated as his own person. Especially if he becomes a hero, like that's what ends up being a big flaw, a problem for Danny is John becomes so heroic that uh, that she, it threatens her claim or she feels that way. And that so in order for that to happen, John has to become popular. John has to be seen very well by mm-hmm. the realm. So, yeah, we have to get there somehow. <laughs> yep. OK, our, our um, patron Judson Bates wonders about after the murder of John, what happens to the Night's Watch? Do they scatter? You know, is there a fight with the wildlings? Uh, in which case, the Night's Watch will be, you know, in a bit of trouble, I think, with the numbers. And mm. Jon Snow was the glue holding this whole deal together. It was, he was the glue. And he is going to be, you know, 
I, I don't know, in a wolf or, or dead for a while. So what's going to happen in the interim? Do you have any ideas, Lady Gwyn? Well, I think, you know, one thing we, we propose is there's going to be some kind of argument fight between wildlings and Night's Watch. And um, the, the key thing that we don't really know yet is how widespread the plot amongst Night's Watch men really is. You know, is it just limited to... Uh, you know, those few people that we kind of saw right, at, right in John 13, you know, is it a handful of malcontents led by um, Bowen Marsh? Or is it more widespread than that? Uh, then consider the fact that even if it is 100% widespread or, you know, even 90%, there aren't that many of them. There's, there's, the numbers are so few and especially with some of them having gone back to Eastwatch or, um, you know, at Castle Black, you're really talking about just a, a few hundred people. Whereas for wildlings right now, because the, the wildlings that just came through the wall, 3000 of them, it's just a couple of days before this happened. Not much time goes by between the wildlings passing through the wall and John being stabbed. Just enough time to send a couple of groups out to some of the castles, um, but not really a lot of time. There's still thousands of wildlings at Castle Black or in the vicinity. So if you're talking about kind of who has the numbers, um, probably the wildling army that just swore their swords to Jon Snow most of them twice, because most of them swore their sword to him as they were passing through the wall, uh, or their axe, and then uh, did it just again right before he got stabbed in the shield hall. So those, you know, those guys are going to be on Team John if if it comes down to a fight. And Night's Watch, whether they're all in or even just partially in, are going to be very quickly overwhelmed. Uh, even you know, we talked about. Uh, uh, Salise's guard is very small. Again, fewer than they, they could be in big trouble. Yeah, they could be so, in big trouble. Salise and the yeah. you know fifty men or whatever, mm -hmm. and the the guys that got left behind, they're not going to be able to defend against the wildlings if no. it came down to it. No, so, th th this could this could be the first kind of uh, first kind of strain of the the sh the. Shireen storyline from the show, which you know, er, er, notorious. Mm. This could be it. You know, this could be the start of it. That those guys have to move or something. Mm. I, I haven't quite worked it out, but mm. you know, it could feed into that plot line if if we're going to see that one. Yeah. Okay, and they're supposed to go to the Night Fort. I mean, Stannis mm. took the seized the Night Fort, uh, declared it his new seat, and that just sets up so many symbolic possibilities for historical events to replay themselves. Very dark events, and something has to get them to go over there. Um, so this mm -hmm. might be it. This this danger of this wild things, and and it to me it, it strikes me how similar this is to what happens with Mance Raider. The whole plan for so long, what Jorah Jor or rather Gior Mormont wanted to do was to shatter the wildling collective by killing Mance Raider because they knew if they cut the head off the snake, the one guy that was responsible for holding it all together, then the whole thing collapses. And that is what happened. Mance was cap. He didn't die. He was captured, and the wildlings turned on each other. I mean, when you re, if you reread Veramir's chapter, you you see lots of evidence of not just evidence, but you see it happening of mm -hmm. wildlings mm -hmm. fighting each other during in the chaos. They some of them they turn on each other, including helpless women and children, like the Hornfoot men kill the mother of the boy that 
Veramir steals the cloak from who stabs him, and that's why Veramir dies. Um, so these are these are the same wildlings that did that when their first leader was captured or killed. So I totally agree that the conspirators may have shot themselves in the foot really badly here by stabbing John because of his vow breaking and loyalty to wildlings. He may they may have just seriously inflamed the wildling issue by doing this. So I think it was potentially extremely counterproductive. Yeah, and, and a great, yeah. great symbol of that might have been when we see uh, Sir Patrick getting pasted by <laughs> by Onewood. That could be a <laughs> yeah. sign of things to come. But but let, <laughs> let's hope that maybe after some kind of initial disagreement, the, the, the Wildlings and the Night's Watch find a way to, you know, ease off each other and kind of get into some kind of conversation. Maybe John comes back. And then do you think it's feasible that we see the Battle of the Bastards as we did in the show where John actually does go south? You know, after what we read about in the pink letter, John actually does go south and takes the wildlings and, you know, takes back the Stark home his way, you know, not, not Stannis or anyone else, you know, a, a, a Stark doing doing this. What do you think, Aziz? Yeah, I think that's entirely possible, but I think it's going to be a lot later because there's so much for Stannis to do before that. And for, for in order for John to take it his way, Stannis either has to lose first or take it and then lose it or something because Stannis has to fight the Battle of Ice and then go through all this night fort Shireen business. I really, I'm very, very against the idea of Shireen being sacrificed to bring John back. There, I, I don't see any reason no, to believe that. No, definitely not. I don't. That doesn't make any sense to me. I know that some people think death pays for life. It, it does, but the kiss of life has already been seen, and it did not require sacrifice. So there's no reason to suspect this. This one will. No, um, and really, that's Stannis's story, not John's. It's Stannis's yes. tragedy. It, it, it's the it's the uh, anchor point for for that tragedy, not John's resurrection. Great point. Yeah. So it's also possible this is what brings Stannis back to the wall in the first place. He something has to bring him back to the Night Fort, and if it's not losing, which is possible, if he loses and retreats to the Night Fort, that's entirely possible. It could be that he has to return to the wall because of this wildling uprising. If the wildlings blow out the rest of the watch over the Jon Snow situation, who else is going to solve that but Stannis? Mm -hmm. you know, other than Jon himself. You know, and, and, if, and if the Night's Watch is blown out, then what... Then, John could do it as an undead leader, maybe that could happen, but that's a you know as a possibility that could be a reason for Stannis to have to come back to the wall to settle this issue. I, I like that because it would show Stannis, you know, saving Shireen to show how much he really, really loves her. You know how hundred percent he loves her, which is why she is the sacrifice, right? Mm, that's yeah, that's dark and. Could be, yeah. I like it. it's it's so dark. It might be right. It might be right. <laughs> so dark. George might have thought of it. <laughs> <laughs> That's dark enough. For, is this dark enough for George? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Lady Gwyn, do you think we're going to see a Battle of the Bastards a la the show? Yeah, I think I do eventually. Uh, not sure what point it will it will fall, but I I do think that that's kind of what the pink letter you know is. Yeah, we set it, up. If it, up. If it happens, you know? we'll look back on the pink letter and think, "Oh, that was the there was the groundwork. It was obvious, mm -hmm. right?" Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, that's that yeah. does make some sense, especially the. Um, it just would come a lot later. It would come after Stannis has done everything. Mm -hmm. After yeah. Winterfell has yes. ch maybe cha even changed hands again. After Roose is dead, probably Ramsay will probably kill Roose. Uh, that fairly. I lean towards that being pretty likely given what the show had and given this, this, all this evidence points towards that too. There's less you can see in the future for Roos and for Ramsey. There's things set up for Ramsey, but Roos, it's just like, well, this guy could be around for a while or he could go any second. You know, I, he's an interesting character, but I honestly don't looking ahead for him. Like what, what is there? Obviously George is creative and maybe we're just not thinking of something, but clearly there's stuff for Ramsey laid out, even if it's just this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So so the pink letter could have been groundwork for the Battle of Bastards that we saw on the show. And that's what, one huge theory. So let's hop to another huge theory, even bigger theory than the pink letter, really. Let's talk about RLJ. <laughs> Will RLJ be revealed in the Winds of Winter? A lot of people, including our patron, Sister Winter, are wondering how this will play out because it's a question that really breeds many other questions doesn't it what do you think Aziz I think that there's a good chance that the readers have some clarity obviously readers who aren't already pretty clear on it is what I mean by that but I do not think it will be a major plot point until a d dream of spring in other words I think most like John himself and Danny herself probably won't learn about it until a dream of spring because that's I do agree with the show's portrayal of chronology, chronology, which is that the conflict between Danny and John will come after the battles of winter. I think this is a more of a, now that we're done with the great threat, who's the king? That's the kind of stuff that comes after. And that's when John and Danny's conflict of their, of his parentage would seem to fit. Now it has to start to build up a little before before that. I mean, George isn't just going to drop that all at once. So that's why I think maybe readers, someone like Bran or other characters who are on the periphery that might have that knowledge, it might come up that way. But John himself and Danny herself, I think will learn it in a dream of spring. Mm. Lady Gwen, you are an LA, RLJ fanatic. When we met, <laughs> you were in the RLJ room at Westeros you know, every day writing about it, supporting the theory. So how do you see it being revealed to the audience? And, you know, at what point? Where? What's the juncture that, that we that it's kind of confirmed to us? Well, you know, first of all, I will... Uh, I'm going to tell you what the George has said, that it, it might come out. Uh, or well, Actually, he's not confirming RLJ, obviously. He's talking about... Um, things about Jon Snow in his background might be revealed in wins. Um, but he hasn't, he has actually not committed to that. Oh, that was years ago that he said this uh, might come out in wins, but it might be in the next book. So um, I like what Aziz said about it being um, made sort of undeniable to the, to the reader uh, and maybe even to other characters in wins of winter. Uh, and I think that uh, the most likely person to show us something that is undeniable is Bran. And Bran's visions have uh, already set up the fact that he can see things. Blood Raven has said, you know, in time, Bran, you'll see beyond the trees. So he'll see things. He doesn't necessarily have to be looking through a weirwood tree uh, to see 
things that happened in the past. And I'd like to point out that Bran's vision of Lyanna is the only time Lyanna Stark appears on page. That's amazing. That's an amazing factoid. We have people talking about her, but we only ever see her in that one. Yeah. In that one vision that Bran has. And I think that's setting us up to actually see her again um, through his vision. And again, you might get people talking about her and the way George does his reveals, you'll get other little bits of information coming in from other, from, from here and there, maybe from Sam, maybe, you know, from who knows where else, uh, Howell and Reed, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Howell and Reed, you know, he's obviously going to be a huge factor. Um, you know, a lot of people have asked about him, actually, in some of the questions that we had. Um, we don't really know where he would come in or, or what point of view he might turn up in. Um, he's the, the one that we can kind of really nail down is is Bran, and the, and the groundwork is there for it to come a, a big revelation to us, not necessarily to John but us to come through brand. So, so in brand chapters, as they go on in the winds of winter, they could actually show us a storyline of Liana, mm. couldn't they? Like if what you're Ooh. saying is true, you know, the only time we see Liana is in his vision and she, mm. he's, she's playing with the brother, but it could show the, you know, each chapter in brand, we could get another kind of segment of this story, like a story within a story type of thing. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. Do you think yeah. that's possible? That'd be amazing, wouldn't it? I mean, it's like a, it'd be like Bran finding a, a video series on YouTube that he's really just got to binge, and yeah. we, get to, we get to see like, whoa, hold on, <laughs> <laughs> what is this? <laughs> Bran's Bran HBO. This. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Where would? box office wbo i don't know (laughs) that's that that term's been used already but i really like what you said um lady gwen about uh the the different possibilities because it's it's one of those things that's such a big mystery that it could be one of those things that george drops all of these things he might have howland and bran and i don't know willa or sam or somebody else all of these things could happen because it's one of the big questions back from 1996 when this book first came out and people were already debating Arpel Tale equals J. The real, the big question was, sure, it's not that hard to reveal this to readers. It's not, it's, it's easy to, to tell readers that John's mm-hmm. father is Rhaegar and his mother is Lena. That's not, that's not difficult at all. But how do you get the in world, how do you get Westeros to believe that's true? How do you get that? In yeah. other words, like how do people believe that Jon Snow, how, like, how do they get this proof of concept? Is it just because he's popular and they're willing to believe it? Like they might about Fagon being Rhaegar's son as well? Or is it j- there's definitive proof that's presented to enough people in Westeros that it has authenticity backing it? Or uh, that's yeah. been a question for more than 20 years. And Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, you, you'd need to have like uh, eyewitnesses, right? So that's where Helen Reed comes in, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. someone who was actually there. Um, Richard Lonmouth, if he should ever come back into the story somehow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Willa, uh, like that's why people would, would engage in theories about maybe Arthur Dane is alive. I was one of yeah. them, by the way, although I, I gave that theory up in 2005, <laughs> but I did hold it for a long time. And yeah. like he would be another example of somebody that was a witness. And Arthur Dane was particularly perfect because... No one would question him. If he said it, people would be like, oh, Arthur Dane said it. It's true. 
right? <laughs> he has such credibility, but like who else, who among like Alan Reed doesn't have that kind of credibility. I mean, he doesn't, he's not like a liar, but most people don't even know who the hell he is yeah. as far as keep people in Westeros. Jon <laughs> Snow, I mean, treasonous wildling loving bastard no one's going to take his word for it <laughs> you know <Yeah>. like <laughs> well, well by the same token would they believe bran in a trippy weirwood vision maybe not or, or I mean, yeah. sam you know you know fat hearted son of a of a lord that you know what i don't know in that's why maybe the show dusty got up book yeah the document might be required i mean i can see why the show did it because they wanted something provable like look this is yeah, written. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. so they clearly realized that would be a problem as well because we got to show how this is provable <laughs> so that might have been an easy way out for them but they at least addressed it so but but george mm -hmm. could do that too i mean yeah okay so i think there could be a reveal in this book but i don't think that the effects are really going to be felt till the final book is this what we're agreeing on? Do you guys agree with me that you, you're really going to feel the effects, you know, it, in the dream of spring? And may, maybe it could be at the very end of this book. It could be the final. <gasps> yeah. Yeah. What, yeah. You think? I mean, I think yes. quite theory. simply. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So why, why don't we, um, move on and we wanted to ask um we talked about john's change post-death but you know what changes are, are we going to see over the course of the book in the context of this you know in the context of the the novel which is going to have its own set of themes and so on what do, you had a quote here lady Gwyn. do you want to st start us off yeah i will because i think this is a, it's a very good quote for you know generating discussion uh a few years back, George read The Forsaken at Balthacon. We were all there. It's a very dark chapter. And so the question came to George about how dark that chapter was. And he said, there are a lot of dark chapters right now in the book I'm writing. It's called The Winds of Winter. And I've been telling you for 20 years that winter is coming. Uh, and winter is a time when things die. Cold, ice, and darkness fills the world. So this is not going to be the happy, feel-good story that people might be hoping for. Some of the characters are in very dark places. In any story, the classic structure is, things get worse before they get better. So things are gonna get worse for a lot of people. So uh, that gives us, you know, kind of a jumping off point to talk about Jon Snow or really any character in The Winds of Winter. But uh, let's talk about darkness. You know, what? What? where are we going with this? Hmm. I really wonder about that because darkness seems like I, I, I was, I've been rereading storm of swords, which of course, and then the beginning of a, of a dance with dragons where of course there's that's packed with John chapters and Sam too. And Mance Raider makes an interesting comment. There's this debate, whether the others bring the darkness or the darkness brings the others. And Mance just casually says the others only attack at night just flat out says that. And he knows more about the others than just about anyone. That's one of the arguments for Stannis keeping him alive is that he's like, oh, th this guy knows things about the true enemy. We, he could be very useful. It's arguably why he is keeping Theon alive as well. Not for the other knowledge on the others, but anyway, I'm getting off track by talking about Theon. <laughs> the point is that the darkness theme, I really wonder how we're going to have a long night. Like how is, what's going to make 
things dark all the time? What's the mechanism for that? Um, if the if the others are like building enough power, storing enough energy that they can make the sun blocked out, or if they can have so many clouds in the sky that the sun's just not visible for weeks or something. I'm very curious about both the symbolic darkness mm. of the story, but I'm even more curious about the literal darkness because mm. the symbolic darkness is just a million ways that can play out. And it's, it's, mm. but the, the literal darkness is, is only, that's a very specific thing. And I'm, that draws my attention a lot. And I, I don't really have an answer though. <laughs> I just, it, it I'll have questions. Been... It could have been a metaphor all along, you know, the long night. If you think about it, it could, could, you know, it's passed on for thousands of years, these stories. It could have just been a really shitty time, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. I mean, where everybody has to stay indoors all the time, for example, you know. it's Yeah, like, oh, we know about wait that. Wait a minute. <laughs> I, I will say that I was just reading uh, brand chapters and... Sorry, my headphones for... <laughs> I was reading Bran chapters and Bloodraven tells Bran to embrace the darkness, okay? Mm. I don't think this is Bloodraven encouraging Bran to be a bad person. I think it's I think it's a survival lesson. This darkness is coming. There's going to be bad times and you know you've got to survive. It's going to sort sort out the survivors from the from the dead, you know? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, just yeah, it's coming. You may as well get used to it and deal with it. That's a that's a great point. Yeah, there's a lot of characters that can could thrive in this darkness. It doesn't have to mean that everybody is you you, you know in a worse position. They they could they could seize the moment certain characters and you know come to the fore even more, you know, as heroes. So that's why I hope from The Winds of Winter that it, there is the sign that the Starks and other characters are ready, you know, they're, they're ready for this great war that's coming finally, and that they're, they're well positioned, you know, whatever is going on, that certain characters like Bran are, are just primed for a, a good old uh, fight with the others. You know who would do really well in the darkness down deep in the damp, cold, or damp uh, darkness of the caves would be um, Mushroom. He would do <laughs> really well there. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help myself. <laughs> Bring back mushroom. <laughs> maybe it's all in a, a maybe it'll be Theon. I mean not Theon. Tyrion? Sure, well yeah. Theon too, I guess. Oh, sure, why not? Fair, but, <laughs> okay, let's move on to our final discussion. We're we're over our limit. What a surprise. Yeah, well. Never I happens. want to ask, you know, where the cutoff is gonna be, what what John's story where where John's arc is kind of kind of be cut off with the winds of winter and you know what what kind of footing he's going to be on going into the final book uh, this is going to be wildly spe speculative but what what do you think lady gwyn where where's it going to end for john in this in this you know there's 1500 manuscript pages but mm. there's a lot of a lot of povs and a lot of stories so yeah. how how right. far do you think we're going to get with john well i mean i think um Look, first of all, I want to I want to say one thing we have to you know kind of get our minds around is is the fact that I think we're all agreed that the show, uh, if we watched it, really sped up the resolution of a lot of story arcs, right? So yeah. um, I think now is the time when we have to kind of put all that aside. Although there's some beats, you know, things that we can take from that, but really 
think back to the beginning of A Storm of Swords, because if you think about Feast and Dance as a, as a unit because of the way it handled point of view characters, um, we really have the space, you know, the equivalent of from A Storm of Swords through the end of Dance to go yet to go in the story, right? That's that's there's mm. huge amounts of things that happened and you know narrative changes and just a lot of ground to cover is what I'm saying. So uh, I, as far as where it's going to break off for John in Winds, I'd have to say you know if there's some something happens with the wall, if the wall falls, I think that's probably a good kind of ending the northern or that the far north kind of storyline. The wall falls and maybe, you know, the the front line of battle has to move south, you know, and, and that's maybe where we leave off and moving into dance. Um, uh, moving into dance. Yeah, sorry. Moving into dream. Dream. <laughs> dream. <laughs> the other D word. Um, <laughs> We've talked about um, the D a lot today. Just, <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i mean i would say by dream that we're all kind of like really drawn down like dialed in to maybe not a single location but as as close to that as we're going to get is you know so a time yeah. of convergence you mm -hmm. think yeah yeah that, that is true that it's happening it kind of happens at the end of a storm of swords you've got Sam, like all the chapters at the end or the last like 12 chapters are like five John chapters and two Sam chapters. <laughs> it's like very focused on that. And then of course things change. I, I think may I'm, I'm in favor of the wall coming down partway through the book. I think um, what might be the, I think the R plus LJ stuff might be what's at the end of the book. That might, the beginning mm -hmm. of that yes, stuff definitely. might be where, it's a, maybe it's just because we were just talking about it and it seems to fit nicely with what we were saying. Mm -hmm. But I feel like the wall has to come down a little sooner just because then it'll only be one book of resolving the rest of the winter war of winter and all the Bran and Danny stuff afterwards. But on the other hand, a lot of us, including Paris, have thought for a while that seven books won't be enough. So maybe that's that maybe that's the answer to that one, yeah. which is like, oh boy. Uh so Another big one could be um, him riding a dragon. Uh, that could be a way, a kind of exciting way for the book to end with a big mm -hmm. transition. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, that implies some R plus L J stuff may have already progressed. Yeah, Maybe that's like yeah. that's hard yeah. to, that doesn't have to be the case, but it seems likely at least the whole, maybe we get the brown pen plum scene where John meets the dragons and they're like, Hey, we like you. And they're like, wait, what's going on here? Uh, that doesn't seem like enough of a climax, but <laughs> it could be pre, I don't want to say pre-climax because now I'm just getting back to talking about D again. What the hell? <laughs> I, just go, can't, I just can't stop it. My, I can't stop myself. Damn. There will be no climaxing in the winds of winter. I just can't beat this pro. I mean, oh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> Okay, guys, uh, I've just enjoyed this conversation so much. I really feel like I've, uh, you know, learned a lot and learned, refined some of my own opinions just in the course of an hour. So, you know, I'll have to say a huge thank you to Aziz from Westeros History, or History of Westeros, we should say. Um, why don't you tell us what you're up to with, cool. with your own podcast and, and, and your own live streams and projects? 
All right. Um, we are, we are, we've got our Valar Reredis project going. That's a, a reread of the books with the Winds of Winter in mind. We're, we're looking heavily at foreshadowing and what's to come. And as we move, we're almost done with the Storm of Swords. And the farther along we get, the more it turns into what's going to happen rather than what has happened. And so that's exciting because when you're reading a Game of Thrones and a Clash of Kings, you can see certain plots all the way through. Like you can see the whole arc of the of uh, say Rob's war, you know, uh, the red wedding, all of that from beginning to end is kind of a complete story. But when we move into the, these end, end of storm of swords, beginning of feast for crows and then into dance of dragons, there's all these open questions. Like many of the types that we've answered today um, are, are the kind of things that we're tackling. So that's been a lot of fun going through that. We're also about to release an episode on Sirwin of the mirror shield. It's a short one. And that's really fun. It talks about yeah. Barristan and Kristen Cole mm -hmm. and Eric and Ark. And it's sort of a companion to the Dance of the Dragons work we're doing with y'all. Um, it kind of relates to that because that's where a lot of that stuff, uh, a lot of the anecdotes mm -hmm. come from the Dance of the Dragons. Sir Balon Swan or Byron Swan being another one. And I've also started a, a Witcher podcast on the side. And that's been fun. Uh, we've only got two episodes out so far. One for each oh, of the first brilliant. two That's a brilliant show. Mm -hmm. I, I watched that on Netflix. It mm -hmm. was uh, brilliant. And cool. the books are good, too. <laughs> yeah, so we're mostly talking about the books, but we will talk about the show when it starts to come back again. And that's with some people that some of y'all will know. That's Mikal Schick from, from Vassals of Kingsgrave and Hypable as and Kyle Foster from Azor Hype. So that's, oh, that's what, a, uh, what a great what a great crew you've got. That's <laughs> thanks, great, yeah. man. We're having a great time so far. Okay, so we're very lucky to have had you on the show. Thank you. Thank for you for insight. having me. <laughs> no problem. And why don't we announce uh, next week's, same time next week, but the subject is going to be Melisandre. Jen, over to you. Yep. So next week we'll be back with talking about Melisandre with Joe Magician. Uh, that should be a lot of fun. We touched on her a bit today, but, um, you know, there's a lot more to dig into. Uh, she's a great character, and we're looking forward to that discussion. I'll be tuning uh, in. Yeah, so it's going to be fun. And um, hey, so send us your questions. We'll obviously post, um, you know, in pa um, Patreon and also on Twitter. We'll be posting, asking for questions. I hope we touched on most people's questions today. Obviously, we're running out of time, so uh, it's impossible for us. We did get a lot of questions. It's impossible for us to answer every single one, but hopefully uh, we did touch on a lot of them. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much, everyone, for that. And um, don't forget, if you haven't already um, checked out our um, Winds of Winter Primer episode, um, that's the episode that these live streams are the companion to. So definitely do check that out as well. It's uh, also these guys are too nice to say it, but hit that like button. It, it really helps. These are since they're starting their streams, their YouTube streams. It might take a little while for them to for a lot of other people out there to see that this is happening. Hitting that like button gets them more traction, helps the algorithm pick it up and, and all that. So it, it matters more than you might think. Thank you. Yes. Hit the button. So mm -hmm. that's not hard, right? It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty easy, actually. It's actually uh, pretty easy. <laughs> I see the number going up right now as we sit here. It's working. It's working. Very good. Awesome. <laughs> thank you. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for being here. Uh, we've seen a lot of friends, um, a lot of familiar names in the chat, so um, and a lot of... Uh, a lot of our regular listeners thanks so much for being here and supporting us and we hope you're all doing well 
in these times. Back to you, Yoke Boy. Anything else to Thank add? you. Thank you so much for <laughs> tuning in. It's, it's uh, you know, it's great to just feel like I'm doing something, contributing in a small way. And uh, these are hard times for many people. Let's, you know, not forget that, you know, you can uh, achieve some good escapism from being in this kind of community that we're in. So thanks for tuning in. See you okay. next week. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.